Hello, and welcome to Device Week, a podcast from MedTech Insight. I'm executive editor Sean Schmidt. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration was busy with draft and final guidance documents this week, issuing three within 24 hours. The documents address disparate device industry concerns ranging from of-the-moment issues like coronavirus test supplies to more traditional concerns around device materials testing. Here with the story is MedTech Insight senior reporter Elizabeth Orr. Thanks, John. It's somewhat unusual for guidance documents to be released in such rapid succession, especially when they don't share a common topic. So even though they're a little technical for Device Week, I hope our listeners enjoy the look at what's on the FDA's mind this fall. Absolutely. Let's start with the guidance you personally reported on for MedTechInsight.com, which was about materials used in influenza tests. What's going on there? Right. So this is about items that may be hard to find this year because of the strain that tests for COVID-19 are placing on the supply chain. As you probably know, influenza and COVID-19 are both upper respiratory viruses in the coronavirus family. And one of the things that means is that tests for the two conditions, along with a similar illness called respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, are going to use a lot of the same materials to collect and transport samples from patients. So the FDA is, of course, very aware of this and of the possibility that shortages of these crucial supplies could make it hard for manufacturers to make enough flu tests to make it through the winter flu season. And so in this immediately in effect guidance document, they give test manufacturers permission to make certain substitutions for those materials without first filing a 510K. In a virtual town hall with manufacturers on Wednesday, Toby Lowe, who is the Associate Director for Programs and Performance in the agency's Office of In Vitro Diagnostics and Radiological Health, said that she hoped the move would, quote, help expand access to certain FDA-cleared molecular tests intended for the detection and identification of flu viruses. Sounds promising. What kind of modifications are we talking about, and what guidelines has the agency set? Specifically, the guidance document allows manufacturers to add sterile phosphate-buffered saline and sterile normal saline as additional transport media types when the device was previously indicated for viral transport media, or VTM. Additionally, tests only cleared for use with nasopharyngeal swabs can be modified to add use with nasal swabs collected by healthcare professionals. But the guidance document also includes recommendations for how manufacturers making those changes should make sure customers are aware. For example, anyone distributing a modified flu or RSV test should add complete instructions for the alternative sample collection method to their labeling, as well as any specific new performance criteria. The labeling should also include indications of compatibility for use with alternative specimen types, collection devices, and transport media. Further, the FDA wants the labeling to clearly distinguish FDA-cleared indications and technical specifications from those that the agency has not cleared, and to incorporate a clear statement that the agency has not cleared the test for use with the alternative specimen collection device or transport media. I see. So they're obviously trying to avoid any risk. Are there other modifications that they specifically don't want companies to make without notifying the agency? Quite a few. The list in the guidance document includes modifications that would add sample types or transport media besides those specifically permitted, allow use with self-collected samples, distribute the tests over the counter, or recommend the tests for use by new patient populations, such as pediatrics. Okay, then. That's one guidance down. Now, a second guidance was issued this week that tackles biocompatibility testing. Let's talk about that one. Sure. 
This is a draft guidance document that would excuse sponsors of certain medical devices that touch skin from providing biocompatibility testing data if they can show the material the device is made of has a safe history. It's an update to the agency's 2016 biocompatibility guidance document and is intended to reduce the administrative burdens for sponsors and help avoid animal testing. The agency says it developed the draft guidance based on its experience with pre-market submissions with certain common polymers and fabrics. Instead of running biocompatibility tests for certain devices, the sponsor can list in their pre-market application all the device materials that are likely to come into contact with skin, as well as the safe history of those materials. The draft lists 17 synthetic polymers and four fabrics in its initial list of proposed materials for the guidance, which include certain polyethylene materials, silicone, and cotton. But it's not set in stone. The agency says that if it finalizes the document, it still plans to periodically reassess the list of protected materials. That can mean adding materials for which no biocompatibility testing information will be required, but could also allow the agency to pull materials from the list based on new information. Comments on the guidance are open on regulations.gov through December 14. The agency is particularly looking for comments that suggest the additional removal of device materials or exclusion characteristics from this policy, including a rationale. That's definitely something industry should keep an eye on for sure. Now, let's talk about the third guidance document released by FDA this week. It's a final technical guidance on devices containing nitinol. Remind us what nitinol is and why the agency is issuing new guidance around it. Sure. Nitinol is an alloy comprised of a mix of nickel and titanium that's been used extensively in cardiovascular devices, including stents, heart valves, and guide wires. It's valued for those uses because of its super elasticity and shape memory behavior, and the FDA says it's becoming more common in other applications. But the growing use of nitinol in non-cardiovascular device applications raises special considerations for review of the devices, according to the agency. One non-cardiac device that used nitinol was Bayer's Escher birth control device, which was withdrawn from the market by the company at the end of 2019 after safety concerns surfaced. A few months before Escher was yanked, though, an agency's science advisory panel held a meeting that examined adverse biological reactions to medical-containing devices, including a review of adverse event reports connected to use of Escher's nitron-based coils. Yeah, this sounds like something the agency has been watching for a while. What guidelines are they laying out? Most of the recommendations aren't necessarily going to be unusual for people who work in device R&D. The agency is asking for general information on material composition, mechanical testing, and corrosivity testing results, as well as biocompatibility assessments. Additionally, it advises manufacturers of nitinol-containing devices to use label warnings to mitigate risks to patients who may have allergic reactions to nickel or nitinol. The guidance document recommends a range of international standards that devices containing nitinol may follow while they perform the testing. For example, they suggest ASTM F2063, which is titled Standard Specification for Wrought Nickel-Titanium-Shaped Memory Alloys for Medical Devices and Surgical Implants, as a guide for material testing. The agency further recommends that sponsors provide a high-level flowchart to identify the manufacturing processes leading from raw materials to found device sterilization because manufacturing methods, including heat treatments, can alter the performance of nitinol-containing devices. Other standards referred to in the guidance document include standards on durability testing, corrosion testing, iron release testing for devices that don't exhibit corrosion resistance, biocompatibility testing. The document also recommends specific product labeling language because people with a nickel sensitivity may react to any amount of metal, no matter how small. 
And you can read that particular warning in our store on this guidance at medtechinsight.com. All right. That's a lot to chew on, and it certainly was a busy week at the agency. Thanks for that roundup report, Elizabeth. Listeners, you can check out all three FDA guidance document stories and much more online now at medtechinsight.com. And for all the latest medtech news, you can follow us on Twitter at medtech underscore insight. For now, thanks for listening. 